Because we are alive in you. We are alive in you. Oh, you're bursting through this morning. We're bursting through this morning. Bursting through. Come on, just let him love you. Let him love you with a love that he has defined. Now we're talking about the love connection this morning. And, and the very first thing I want to point out is something that um, um, we, I pointed out last week as well. You know, we get our definition of love from what the world shows us love is. We watch movies, we watch social media, we watch marriages and relationships and people around us. And that's what we allow to define what love is. But our God's love is not like that love. Our God's love is not I love pizza kind of love. Our God's love is I shall sacrifice everything I am, everything I love, so that you can be healed, you can be clean, you can be free, you can be whole this morning. We come alive in that river. We come alive in that river. We have no reason to hold back when there is a river which is overflowing this morning. It's overflowing for us today. And I just love the fact that God doesn't just have love. God doesn't just have love. Our God is love. He is love. But we thank you that you are a God who just embodies what love is this morning. Lord, we, we, we high-five you for who you are. We high-five you for what you've been able to achieve through the love you've poured out on our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That we can make declarations today saying, you know what? We are alive. We're alive in you. Thank you, Lord. In your holy name, amen, amen, amen. Give someone a high-five. Give someone a hug. Tell someone you love them. Don't lie, but tell someone you love them this morning. You know, we get our definition of love. Oh, look at all this loving going on. It's so cute. I love you. So cool. Hey, isn't God good? Isn't God good? Hey, we allow ourselves to get, we allow ourselves to, to live in a, a downgraded life. We allow ourselves to live a life which says that love is, is fleeting, which says that love is conditional. We allow ourselves to live a life that says um, we can love people when they're beautiful and not love them when they're not. We can allow love into our lives which has conditions. But we serve a God who doesn't just have no conditions when it comes to love. He embodies what love is. And I reckon it's really exciting this morning, amen? I mean, we get our definition from Him. We need to let go of the definition the world would call love, and we need to grab our definition from of what God would say love was. So this morning, I just want to keep unpacking. Last week, we started off um, in the series, The Love Connection, and, and the first two weeks are a, a two-part kind of sermon. And the first part last week was called, I want to know what love is. How many of you want to know what love is? I want to know what love is. I'll do my best to try and show you this morning by pointing straight at Scripture. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. Last week, we looked at love being patient. Everyone say patient. We looked at love being kind. Everyone say love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. 
This is not proud. I'm going to get straight into it. Is that okay this morning? I'm going to get straight into it. If you weren't here last week, steal someone's notes that was here last week because it was pretty good. God, God, God moved. He did some cool stuff. I don't know why my voice is squeaky. Hey, it's really cool to see Jeanette here with us. I love Jeanette, and she is here, back from Australia. We missed her for the last wee while. I don't know how long it was a wee while. So make sure you give her plenty of hugs. She's quite huggy. So make sure you give her plenty of hugs after this service. Good to have you home. It's also good to have my parentals with me from Westport. I haven't quite convinced them to move here yet, but I think I'm slowly kind of like working at the foundation of such a shift. And, um, and, and that will lead some other people here as well, um, meaning my little sister and, and Curtis. We love you, Curtis. You're great. I told Curtis this morning that when, when they, if they get married, because we're talking about love, so I'm also talking about marriage, that he's changing his name to Seablink because Seablink is just so cool a name. And we need more good Seablinks in this world. I don't think he quite agrees with me, though, um, but I've still got a little bit of time to convince him. Or I'll convince, or I'll convince Clarissa to ditch him. But no, I won't do that. We love him too much for that, eh, Kurt? Someone give the boy some chocolate. Don't want to pick on him too much. And we'll give someone a high five and we'll get into it this morning. Actually, we're going to start off with watching a wee video. Actually, no, I'll read the scripture. Where am I at? I'm just a little bit flustered after this morning. God's just so good. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Give me a chair if you think you've got all of that right. Oh, better listen. Better listen to the question. Give me a cheer if you think you've got all of that right. <laughs> I love that scripture. I mentioned this last week and I mentioned it again. I'm just, gonna, you know, I'm just talking a lot today and I feel I better hurry up, otherwise I'm not going to be able to finish my message. But what I love about the scripture is that you can just take the word love out and put your own name in and it kind of like a little bit of an audit of where you're at with God, like where you're at in your growth. Like Bart is patient. Ooh, can I really say that? No, I can't. Ask Rachel. Um, but as kind, I am quite kind. Someone prophesied of me once that I was a friendly person. I was like, I take that, so I'll take that one. But does not envy. I do envy. I do. So I know that there's some stuff I need to work on, and that means that I think there's probably some stuff you guys need to work on too. So let God speak to you this morning. Ben, if we could pop up a little video, and we'll get into it straight after that. If you could have dinner with anyone, living or dead, who would you choose? Kylie Minogue. Oh. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. Oh, God, I wouldn't have a clue. I know, straight up. Paul Hogan. Kim Kardashian. No, no, no. I'd like to have dinner with Justin Bieber. What? <laughs> He's not coming to my house. No, um... <laughs> I'd have Bob Hawke. Dave Hughes. Barry Humphreys. Jimi Hendrix. People who have made a difference in the world, maybe Nelson Mandela at the dinner table. If you could have dinner with anyone in the world, oh. who would you choose? Probably our whole family, like a whole extended family. Mum and Dad. Mum and Dad. Does it have to be a celebrity? Could it be family? We love it. We talk about how school is. We ask Mum and Dad how their day was. Family. Yeah, mum and dad. Family! Who would you guys like to have a dinner with? They just want to be with us mm. while they're eating food, which is pretty cool. 
they see us above everything. I'm gonna get. Yeah. Yeah. Bit, bit of a message in it for me. Yes. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Ben. Give Ben a hand. Very cool. He pushed play, but he pushed play so well. Um, it's fantastic. Who would you most like to have dinner with? You know, if, if that question got asked of you this morning and, and you hadn't been watching this video prior, I don't know what you would say. I don't know. Maybe you'd be the one who would say Nelson Mandela. Maybe you'd be the one who said Justin Bieber. I don't know. I don't know. that. Yeah, Mel's like, yeah, that's me. I don't know. No, I have no idea. I, I don't, like, if I'd have to ask the question of myself, I'd have to really spend some time thinking of it. But chances are that it's someone that you really respect, someone that you want to honor. And what you'd do is this. You'd, 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 you'd get the meal ready. You'd make sure you'd turn up early. You'd make sure you'd have your best clothes on. You'd make sure you'd have a good attitude. You'd be wearing enough deodorant. All of this stuff because you want to honor the person with you. Yet so often we forget to honor those people who are right in front of us. And my first point to you this morning, and it might be obvious to you, it comes straight from verse 5, is this, love does not dishonor. Love does not dishonor. Let's make time for people who matter the most. The people that God has placed in your life. Your husband shouldn't get second best attitude in the morning. Your wife should not get the second best um, um, husband when she wakes up in the morning. Your kids should not get second best. Let's honor those that God has placed in our lives that matter the most. You see, we spend our time looking to honor others. We spend our time looking to honor others when those that we should really honor are right in front of us. The word honor means to give, to give value, to add weight. Are you adding um, value to the lives of your children? Are you adding value to the lives of the people around you? Are you adding value to the life of this church? Come on, honor adds value. Honor adds weight to the people around you. Another translation, translate the word as rude. Love is not rude. Why you gotta be so rude? You know, we, we spend a lot of our time being rude to the people that we should love the most. Uh, the amount of times I wake up in the morning and I'm just not in a good place and, and all five of my kids try and tackle me and hug me at the same time, I'm just like, just wait till I've had my coffee. You know, and we, and we don't honor the people that God has placed around us. Love does not dishonor. Someone say, love doesn't dishonor. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be a rude dude. If you were going to go to dinner with a famous hero, or if you were going to go to dinner with your boss, let's say your boss invited you to dinner, you would make sure that you were there on time, right? If you aren't that person, you probably need to address kind of like your values anyway. But you'd make sure you turn up on time. You'd make sure you'd be wearing the right clothes. You'd make sure that you smelt appropriately. You'd make sure that you didn't eat everything and pour on sauce like crazy. You would honor them with the way you'd act. You would honor them with the way you'd present yourself. Yet so often when it comes to the people we love the most, we don't do that. We don't adjust our schedule. You know, I remember when Rachel and I first got married, we made this decision that every single mealtime that we were both at home, if we weren't away, we would have it together. We would pray together. It didn't matter if we had kids coming along. They'd just join in on that. And for the most part, that's what we do. But I know that somewhere along the line, when we get busy, when there's seasons of real busyness, we allow that thing to creep in that says, oh, not tonight. I'm really tired tonight, and the kids have been noisy. Let's pop on Family Feud and eat in front of the TV. And we get to this point just because we want them to be quiet, to be honest. We're just like, shut up. And, and, and I'm just human. I'm just human. But the thing is this. 
that doesn't just dishonor us, but it dishonors the people that we're meant to be close with. The word honor, to honor someone means to give the best version of yourself for the occasion. Honor is bringing the best version of yourself to the occasion. We often miss those that are right in front of us because we're bringing a lesser version of ourselves. Honor brings the best version of yourself to church. I often say to the team up here, um, and when we come, I mean, so the guys arrive here at 7.30 for packing in and that sort of thing. So they wake up probably about 6.30, get themselves ready. Um, they probably wake up at 5.30 to speak in tongues for a while as well. All of this good stuff. That's what they do, eh, Aaron? And, and then they come here and often they can be tired and there's, and there's moods floating around and attitudes floating around. But we often we will spend a bit of time before pre-service prayer just praying together to just get rid of all of that because honor brings the best version of ourselves to the occasion. You honor God, you honor church, you come to church with the best version of yourself. You don't turn up late. Church doesn't start at five past ten, even though this morning it probably did. But church isn't meant to start at five past ten. You're meant to arrive, arrive early. Come for prayer on a, on a Sunday morning. Arrive at 9.30. And, oh, I've got children. Oh, I've got to do this. Come on, I've got children. I've got stuff to get ready. Arrive at 9.30. Give God the best version of yourself. When it's dinner time, give God, give your family the best version of yourself. When it's um, date time, give your husband, your wife the best version of yourself. Because love does not dis- honor. Three things very quickly. Honor makes time, honor protects, and honor places the other first. You know what you love by what you're protective over. You know, um, the other day, actually a couple of weeks ago, Liam broke his toe, and he ran into something with his toe, and we were like, oh, you just stubbed it. It's all right. You'll be fine. But then the next day, it was very, very blue. So we took him to the doctors, and it was very swollen, and, and it was broken. So they did what they do and connect it to the other toe with a bit of plaster. And really, they didn't do that much. I could have done it myself. But I didn't know. So anyway, they did that, and we took him home. And, and he was getting better, and he was going well. And, and he goes off to school a couple of days later. And we get this phone call and say, oh, Liam has really hurt his toe again this morning. And we're like, oh, what did he do? And they didn't want to tell us. But anyway, um, and then we went to go and pick him up. I don't know. They might not even know, and I don't know. We went to go pick him up and said, Liam, what happened? What happened? Like, what happened to your toe when he's crying and it looks more swollen than it did that morning? And he's like, oh, one of my friends punched me in my toe. And we were like, oh, that's horrible. He's like, but it was the wrong toe. And we're like, oh, that's all right. And he's like, then he punched me in the other toe to make sure he got the right one. And I was like fuming. I'm like, Rachel, stop me. I'm going to go back to the school and find that friend and I'm going to teach him something. Because honestly, I'm real tough. I'm real tough. Like, I'll be real tough. Not really. I would have got there and been like, oh, probably shouldn't do that again, my young fella. Um, but honor seeks to protect. I remember when I got my first car, and um, I was pretty proud of it. I'd saved up for it, and I bought it, and um, I parked it up our drive. And like the next day, Clarissa, this is Clarissa, she's my little sister, if you didn't already know that, her, she had a friend come over, and this little friend decided to ride Clarissa's bike. And she couldn't ride bikes. She did not know how to ride bikes. People that don't know how to ride bikes should not be on bikes. She was sitting on this bike, and the only thing that would keep her stable was my car. So she dragged herself along my car with the bike. And I remember looking outside thinking, what is that noise? It better not be my car. And it was my car. And I went running outside, and I, I cannot say what I said in church. It's a holy place. But I said some words that I wasn't very proud of afterwards, and I didn't dare to look appearance in the eye for a while. And she didn't come and play for a while. But I honored and valued my car. <laughs> Chris is like, we're still not friends. <laughs> 
I honoured and I valued my car. What, what are you protective over? What are you protective over? Is it, is it your possessions? Is it money? Is it your favorite stuff? What are you leaping to protect? What are you leaping to protect? Because for us, it should be those ones that we are closest to. It should be our church. It should be our God. You know what I love? And I just want to jump ahead a little bit because I was going to touch on this at the end. But God does that for you. God leaps to protect you. When the enemy seeks to tear you down, when the enemy seeks to stomp on your head, when the enemy seeks to punch you in the toe, God leaps to your protection because he loves you. Wherever God is, there's an atmosphere of honor. You can't be a person who dishonors others in God's presence because it's not possible. God surrounds himself with an atmosphere of honor. He places value and weight behind you. In fact, you're created in the image of God. You're inherently honorable. You're like little mini reflections of who he is. And then we allow sin to come in and shame to come in and we feel all guilty and we feel all unhonorable. But God sent his son to die for you so you could be honorable once again. Stop allowing yourself to be dishonored. Stop dishonoring yourself when you look in the mirror. Stop dishonoring yourself when you, when you make a mistake. You say, you know what? I made that mistake. I own it. But I'm made in the image of God. He saw me as worthy to die and pour out his blood for me. I am honorable. Young person, if you're looking for a relationship and someone's dishonoring you, walk away. You deserve better. Make them wait. You deserve better. Make, they, they deserve, you deserve to be honored. You're not an object. He died so that you could be whole. Don't expect anything less. So many people have such low self-worth that they'll date any loser. Harsh word, but it's true. I'm teaching my kids, you know what? You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Don't settle for anything less. I'm like, oh, does they want it to be a Christian? I'm like, I want to be more than that. I want someone who's in love with Jesus, who has their hands raised, who's speaking in tongues, who's praying for the sick. I want someone that's chasing God hard out for you. Don't dishonor yourself by choosing anything less. Like they always say to us, and I've said this before, you know, like, like God, about Dad, how do we, no, they call me Bart if I did. Dad, how do we find out who the right one is that God's got for us? And we're like, don't even focus on that. Just chase hard out after God. And if someone tends to catch up, glance over and go, hey, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on, God knows what he's doing. And he says that if we seek him, everything else will be added. Don't get distracted with anything less. People say two halves make a whole. You know, that might work for pizza, but it doesn't work in marriage. Two holes make a hole. Two holes make a hole. Love does not dishonor. Secondly, love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. We can either be a selfish nobody or a selfless somebody. Love is not self-seeking. Philippians 2 verse 3 says this. Do nothing. Everyone say nothing. Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Goes back to the honor thing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but honor others above yourself. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 24 says, No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. If you live your life being self-focused, all you'll have is a worm's eye view, a worm's eye perspective of what life is all about. People are like, man, it's all about me, this world. It's all about me. If I could just do this, if I could do that, I'll be happy. If I get this, if I gain that, if, I, my, if my boyfriend is good looking, if my girlfriend is cute, then everything will be fine. If you're all self-focused, 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 and all you can see is from your own perspective. But when you're others-focused, 
You get a bird's eye view of what God is doing. You get a bird's eye view of what's happening. You can see the big picture. And life can come against you. But you're like, man, I can see what God is doing. He's, he's bringing me into connection with these people. He's allowing me to pour out love on these people. You know, my pain is going to be someone else's gain. And you can see so much more of what God is doing. Yet the more selfish you are, the more irrelevant you become. Because you're not relevant to anyone else but yourself if you're selfish. Love is not self-seeking. If you're, in a, if you're a person that gives, gives, and gives, and you meet someone that just takes, takes, and takes, then it's your job to run away. You know? That's not what the world teaches. The world teaches it's all about your own pleasure. It's all about your own pleasure. But God preaches, you know, when you, when you become selfless, you'll draw people that are selfless. When you become, when you become giving, you'll draw people that are giving. Because that's what he has for us. For the third point of this, love is not easily angered. Any easily angered people here today, I can be extremely graceful, but then sometimes I just snap. And unfortunately, it's with people I love the most. Rachel would testify. My dad would probably testify. We argue very well, eh, Dad? We had good arguments. Once, I argued so well, I was about 17, that he snapped. He got angry, and he chased me up the stairs and booted me up the bum. And, and, and it kind of taught me a lesson, you know? Don't mess with Dad. <laughs> we still love each other now. He's quite a good guy, really. But, you know, it's one of those moments, you know, we, we think, like, kids, Dad and I are real good arguers. We get kind of like, we, blow up, we know how to push each other's buttons. And so we get really upset about really stupid stuff. And then we fight, fight, fight. And then we realize that the one thing we actually want is relationship. And that's one thing we're actually losing in that moment. And, and that's what happens when you, when you allow anger to take over. You're not winning. Oh, man, I won that argument. How awesome. You just lost a bit of relationship. You know, as I said last week, Rachel and I had never fought up until the day we got married. We didn't fight on our wedding either, by the way. We, we never fought prior to our marriage at all, ever. We even broke up during that time, but we still never fought. We just did that mutually. It was agreed upon, shook hands, all that good stuff. But, <laughs> but the thing is this. We soon realized after we got married that our, our relationship wasn't perfect. Rachel had grown up in a household where if you disagreed with anything, you didn't say anything. You just shut up and were quiet, and you didn't talk to each other for four months. That's what you did. I grew up in a household. We were the opposite. We were Dutch, so we would just tell each other what we thought all the time, all the time. And if you disagreed, well, we would tell you again until you agreed. And I soon realized after we got married, that's exactly what we were doing. I would tell Rachel when I was upset, and she would retreat to the bedroom or to the bathroom, and she would hide until it was all over. But because I'm Dutch, it was never over. So I would force her to argue with me. I'm not proud of this. It's hilarious now, but it wasn't at the time. I would force her to argue with me. I'm like, you're going you're gonna to argue this out. We're not going to sweep anything under the rug. We're going to argue, and we're going to argue until I win. And I would. Every argument I would win. And I'd be like, man, I'm such a good arguer. I know how to win arguments. But I lose a little bit of relationship. I'd lose a little bit of respect. You know, love is not easily angered. And when I figured that out, our marriage just grew and grew and grew. I know the best thing in an argument is to give Rachel some space. Let her clear her head, then she'll come to me and she'll figure out what needs, what needs to be said and we'll talk about it. And, and we've got a brilliant marriage, but we had to learn some of these things. We allow people to push our buttons. I allow dad to push my buttons. He allowed me to push his buttons. We allow people to push our buttons. Little brothers always push each other's buttons. We grow up with four boys. They know how to push each other's buttons. I knew how to push my big brother's buttons. 
when really all I wanted was for him to like me. I wanted him to like me, and I thought he was cool. I would never tell him this. He's not here today, so I can preach this. I thought he was really cool, and I just wanted him to love me, and, and I thought his friends were cool, and I wanted to be part of their friend circle. I didn't care that I was three and a half years younger. It was just the way it was. I was going to be part of his friend circle, so I would push his buttons to try to get his attention. He had a short fuse, so he would like, and it took a long time for us to figure out what was actually going on. Love is not easily angered. Love is getting to a point where you say, you know what? I don't actually have to agree with you, but I understand where you're coming from. I love you anyway. I love you despite what is going on. Love doesn't react. Love responds. Love doesn't um, um, jump out and, 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 and go from calm to in a rage in seconds. Love says, you know what? I'm going to take ownership of the situation before it even becomes a situation. I'm going to respond rather than react. I've had to apologize so many times because I reacted rather than responded. And we can walk away from this situation and go, yeah, I won the argument. It was Rachel's fault. It was dad's fault. It was my husband's fault. It was my kid's fault. But how many of you know that blame is lame? And because it's true, because it rhymes, it's actually true. So blame is lame. Blaming people, it's just lame. You've got to take ownership. If you, want to, if, you want to, if you want to dethrone something in your life, you've got to own something in your life. No one has ever blamed their way into a better future. No one has ever blamed their way into a better marriage. No one has ever blamed their way and ended up working out well in church. No one's ever blamed their way in anything and it worked out well for them. Blame is lame. And it rhymes. So write that down. You can remember it and you can tell people. And you say, you come to my church because they teach me that blame is lame. You know, some of us have anger problems, and, and we, never, we never deal with it. We never own it, so it never gets dethroned in our lives. Blame causes you to live at the mercy of anyone with a stir stick, any stirrer. I was a stirrer. I am a stirrer. All four of my boys are stirrers now because of that. They know how to wind each other up. I know how to wind people up. But when you're a person that likes to blame or, or likes to get easily angered, you're always at the mercy of someone with a stir stick. Anger ruins relationship. It's a repellent. It's not a cologne. You know, people may push your buttons, but they are your buttons this morning. Oh, you know how to push my button? No, they're your buttons. Deal with it. Own it. Dethrone it. They might stir something up inside of you, but it's still inside of you. Deal with it. Work it out. And how many know that when you speak when you are angry, you'll make the best speech that you ever regret? The amount of speeches I've regretted, the amount of times I've walked away from an argument with my wife or with someone else and go, man, I, I won that argument. Oh, man, I regret saying all of that. It wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. Love owns it and goes to work. Someone once said to me, you won't be punished for your anger, but you end up being punished by your anger. Don't allow it to get to that point. If you're an angry person, and I say this kind of in jest but also serious, if you're an angry person, sort yourself out. Seek counseling if you need it. You know, I, I, sort it out. Because it's only ruining your life and the people around you are not going to cope well with it either. My fourth point is this. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Anyone know any record keepers? You know, anyone <laughs> know some record keepers? Love keeps no records of wrongs. Now you can you can you can you can go into your filing cabinets and you can read all the old transcripts of all the past events that have happened in your marriage or in your friendship or in your relationships. You know, it's always easier to recall other people's mistakes than it is to recall your own. I just remember that time. You know, you know how you don't know how you know if you're a record keeper this morning. 
Who wants to know if they're a record keeper? One person. Oh, there's a few hands. That's good. Let's be vocal. Who wants to know if they're a record keeper? If you say things like, you always have a problem with, anyone say that in church this morning? Sweetheart, last year we had the same conversation. I'm guilty of that one. I'm like, babe, we've talked about this. Like yesterday. Um, why do you always, why can't you ever, you never do, church, why are we always going back into the filing cabinet? Because what happens is a minor issue becomes a major issue because it's all just lumped together. Stuff we meant to have dealt with last year, yesterday, the day before, all becomes lumped together. 1 Peter 4 verse 8 says this, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Stop reminding your husband what he said three years ago. Stop reminding your wife of how she made you feel two years ago. Get over it. Love covers a multitude of sins. Rehashing the past does nothing to alter the future. And you know what? As a, as a record keeper, you might be right. That person might have said the same thing three or four times. That person might have made you feel miserable all those years ago. But reminding them of it is only going to damage the relationship. You can be right and wrong at the same time. You know, that person probably did do that horrible thing. They probably, their wife probably did say that thing to you. Your kids probably did muck up when they were teenagers. But reminding them of it is not going to bring them to a place of strength and confidence in who God has called them to be. Record keepers do not build relationships. Forgiving people do. If you find out this morning that you're a record keeper, Say, God, teach me the art of forgiveness instead. Teach me the art of forgiveness. Forgive your, your parents for, for, for what you feel they did to you. Forgive your wife. Forgive your husband. Forgive your kids. Forgive that teacher. Forgive that grandparent. Forgive that supermarket assistant. Forgive the person who, like, pulled the fingers of you at you in the car. Forgive people. What's the point in holding it over their heads? True love is choosing the many things a person did right rather than focusing on the few things they did wrong. We all want true love. This is real love. This is real love. We all want real love. But it's only going to happen if we choose to focus. And if I focus on everything my kids did wrong, man, I would just have a list so long. But I love them. I love them, and I know, I know that their picture of who God is and what God is like is massively determined by how I treat them. I'm their dad. So if we say, he's a good, good father. Man, I'm singing a lot today. Karaoke. I mean, if, I, if, I, if we sing songs like that, and they're like, yeah, but my father just always made me feel small. My father always told me what I was missing and what I was lacking. My father, you know, if, if they have that, then they will not see God as a good, good father. Their picture of what God is like 
is very much determined by, by how I treat them and how I am. With them. I choose not to be a filer. Oh, Jaden, do you remember that time? I choose to be a forgiver as God chose to be a forgiver with me. Oh, the things he could remind me of. But he's like, no, 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 Bart, don't remind yourself of that. I've forgiven that. That is gone. It is gone. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's an act of your will. Married couple, if you can't let go of yesterday's junk, you cannot reach for anything new. I think someone needs to grab that word this morning. You can't reach for anything new with your hands full of yesterday's junk. I love kids, and, and, and one thing you'll kind of find them doing is trying to hoard everything. Like, like trying to, this is mine, I'm going to hold on to it. You can't have it. And what they realize is that there's more blessings coming their way, but they can't reach for it because they've got their hands full of stuff that they don't really want anymore, but they don't want anyone else to have it. You cannot reach for anything new when you've got stuff, when you're holding on to yesterday's junk. Let go of it. Love keeps no records. And finally, um, Paul kind of sums a few up together, and it says, love doesn't give up. Someone say, love doesn't give up. Verse 6 to 8 says, Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Church, love doesn't give up. Love chooses to see and believe the best and overlook some of the rest. Love chooses to believe the best and overlook that which was done years ago. You know, we've all heard the phrase, you know, love is blind. Paul is saying love chooses to be blind. You know, they might have hurt you three years ago. That person in church might have offended you, but you need to be blind towards it because God's got something so much bigger for you. God is dealing with that person. Well, God, let God deal with you because that is the only person you're responsible for this morning. Love chooses to let some stuff go. Focus, stop focusing on the failure and focus on the success. I figured out in 12 and a half, almost 13 years of marriage now that, you're, that love and, and, and will have some gaps, you know, because there's expectation. There's expectation of what your marriage will be like. There's expectation of what church will be like. There's expectation of what relationship will be like. But no one can live up to your expectations, when you're, if you're honest. So there's gaps. Now, the, the question is this. What do you choose to fill that with? Do you choose to fill that with trust? Or do you choose to fill that with suspicion? Often, because we watch so much TV and we see so much on social media, we'll fill it with suspicion. Oh, you know, this happened to so-and-so, and they ended up having to break up on days of our lives. It's just the same. And we fill those gaps with suspicion. Oh, it happened on Shortland Street. I said, we've seen this before. <laughs> prophesy. <laughs> Hashtag prophesy. But the truth is this. If we fill those gaps with trust, people often rise to the level at which we trust them. But if we fill those, those, those gaps with suspicion, often they'll fall into the very thing we suspect them of. Because the words of, our, the words of our mouth, the Bible says they have the power of life and death. What do you do when there is a gap? Do you choose to trust or do you get suspicion? Trust is a fuel in any life-giving relationship. How many of you guys arrived here with a car this morning? And very quickly, hands in the air, if you just don't care. If you arrive in the car, if there was no fuel in that car, 
it would have been a lot harder for you to get here. I've done this before. Once I was leaving the coast to come home to Nelson, and it was late at night, and I thought I would get petrol in Murchison, and um, then the, the little card machine thing, because that's what I call it, was broken, and um, I was already on red. And I'm like, ringing up people going, oh, I'm not actually going to make it, so I don't know what to do. Thankfully, either my car is amazingly magic, or God kind of ran along with the car pouring petrol, and I'm not sure. Um, I ended up getting home to Nelson on read all the way from basically Anungahua Junction. So, um, yeah, it sometimes works. But generally, generally, if there's no fuel in the car, you will not get to your destination. Trust is the fuel to any relationship, whether it be marriage, whether it be your relationship with your kids, whether it be relationship with people in church. Trust is the fuel. If you do not show trust, eventually your relationship will shrivel up and die. Some of you, I think, have seen that. They've seen their relationship shrivel and die because of the lack of trust. Trust fuels up. Trust builds up. Trust says, you know what? I believe in you. You might have made that mistake, but I believe in you. You might have fallen down, but I believe in you. Trust is a fuel. Love sees potential. Love sees destiny through God's eyes. Through God's eyes, that's the key. Love looks through God's eyes. We've got, to, we've got to let go of the world's version of happily ever after. Oh, and they found the beautiful lady and the handsome prince, and the prince was just like so elegant and handsome and all this garbage, and, and they lived happily ever No, this. If we could put it up there, please, Ben, because I'm like, no, not that one. 1 Corinthians 13, it's not that one. This <laughs> is happily ever after. If we master that, We'll have our happily ever after. If you're able to say, but, well, not you, if I'm able to say, but is patient, but is kind. He doesn't envy. If I get to that point, I'll have my happily ever after. But if I'm not willing to work on the things that I'm lying about right now, I won't. Stop blaming the fact that you're not living in happily ever after on the person you're living with when you have not mastered these when you have not been able to master these. I want you to get these, listen to your spirit this morning. We have this scripture at weddings. How many had this at their wedding? Much less than I thought there was going to be. Much less, but a few. Keep it up there because it's good. Not that one. This one. I want to get you guys to fill in the blanks this morning. Love is, love is, it does not, it does not, it is not, it does not, it is not, it is not, it keeps no, love does not, and rejoices in the, it always, 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 love never fails. That is your happily ever after. If you're looking for a happily ever after anywhere else, you are not going to find it. Because God's definition of love is this. And this does not fail. Oh, my marriage is not falling apart. Is it based on this? Are you and your husband or are you and your wife like looking through this and saying, man, my love needs to be patient. I need to be kind. I need to stop being envious. I need to stop being dishonorous, dishonoring and self-seeking. Is this what you're based on? Because then your marriage will work. It can't fail. Love never fails unless you've got it the definition of love based on something completely opposite to what God has. 
intended when he talks about love. Young person, if you're looking for love, this is your filter. This is your filter. Jaden, Seth, Caitlin, Liam, Cohen, if you meet someone that's gorgeous and hilarious at the same time, run them through this filter. Is Bob kind? No, well then wait till he is. Is Bob patient with you? No, well then wait till he is. But that being said, young person, don't be looking for something that you're not. Stop looking for something that you're not. Work on becoming what you should be. And then when someone catches up, glance over and say, hey, how are you doing? Don't be looking for something you aren't because you attract who you are. Who do you want to attract? Become that person. And you do the same. Stop dating your self-esteem. Stop dating your self-esteem. It's time to grow up when it comes to love. Paul says at the end of his message, I used to think like a child. He finished talking about love, and he sums it all up with a sentence. I used to think like a child. I used to reason like a child, but I'm a man now. I think about it like a man. You know, you might have watched every single Disney movie on the face of the planet, but if you approach love with that in mind, you're not going to have your happily ever after. It's time to grow up. If you approach love with this in mind, you'll live happily ever after. You'll know there's things to walk through, but you know you'll never fail. You'll know you can't give up. You know that it won't end the way that we're in so often in the world. Love is laying down your life. And I can't ask the musos to come up this morning. Love is laying down your life. Love never fails. It's time to grow up in this. You know why this is so important? And I mentioned this last week as well. Like Paul, Paul brings out this teaching just before he teaches on the gifts. You know why this is so important? Because we have so many gifted people in the world. So many gifted people in the church. But when they get this thing wrong, it rips the rug out from underneath their calling. The amount of people that I've seen that have been destined for greatness, but settled for less, and ended up never getting there. It might sound harsh, but it's true. God's saying, I want you to live happily after. So I've given you a description. I've given you an outline of what love looks like. This is what love looks like in the church. This is what love looks like in relationships. This is what love looks like in marriage. If you get that right, nothing will stop you. Nothing will stop you. You will see everything, every part of ministry, every part of your destiny that God has got for you succeed. Because God says it doesn't fail. And I believe what God says. Love in the church cannot fail. Loving people that are offended at you cannot fail. Loving people you're offended at cannot fail. Loving your husband even when he has morning breath cannot fail. Loving your wife even though she is grumpy in the morning and doesn't drink coffee so there's nothing to help her cannot fail. Love doesn't fail. But we often think it's going to because when we were growing up, it did. The love your parents had for you failed. The love that you thought your husband had for you failed. The love you thought your wife had for you failed. 
love you thought your children had for you failed. That teacher who you thought had your back turned their back on you. Those friends that you thought would always be there for you ended up not being there for you at all. And then we, we turn away from this love and we try and go back to the happy ever after this um, Disney love. And we hope that that kind of fixes. But it's like a plaster on a cancer. It's not going to make a difference. This love heals. This love protects. This love adds weight. Can we just have everyone stand today? As we come to the end of this message, I just really feel that God wants to heal some people who have been showing a love that wasn't real. Showing a love that wasn't the love that God had for them. So with every eye closed, every eye closed this morning. Lord, I just thank you right now. I thank you right now that you're a God who loves us. He wants to heal broken hearts today. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, man, I know that I've been chasing a happily after love, a Disney type of love that wasn't real and I've been wounded, I've been, I had my heart broken. Maybe it was through a relationship, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was someone or something else, a close friend. And you've been left wounded. God's saying this morning, I want to heal that wound. My love for you never fails. Because this morning, just looking back up at the Scripture, God is patient. God is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not prideful. He does not dishonor you. He is not self-seeking. He is not eagerly angered. God keeps no records of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Your relationship with God this morning cannot fail based on the Scripture. Just every eye closed. Well, let Him sing to you this morning. Let Him sing to you this morning. He loves you. He's a Father who loves you. He cares about you. He's perfect in all of His ways. He's got this love thing down pat. Oh, but you don't know what I've done. You know, that time, like years ago when I, I mucked up, I, I made the biggest mistake. God's like, I don't even remember that. I haven't kept a record of wrong. I've forgiven you. I've let that go. Oh, but God, you've got to be angry at me. I'm sure you're angry at you. No, no, God's let that go. He's not self-seeking. In fact, Psalm 30 verse 5 puts it this way. His anger lasts for a moment, but His favour lasts for a lifetime. The word favour can be used as honour. His honour for you lasts for a lifetime. He puts His weight behind you. I love this scripture, Job chapter 14. It says this, You will call and I will answer you. You will long for the creature that your hands have made. Surely then you will count my steps, but not keep track of my sin. My offences will be sealed up in a bag and you will cover over my sin. Allow him to cover over this morning. Who you are, who you are, 
Let him cover over. He's covering over your sin right now. Keep singing, church. All it takes is you and God. Let him heal. His love for you is kind. He's so patient with you. He's not angry with you this morning. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am, and you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To us, He's perfect, church. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To Sing love so undeniable. Oh, love so undeniable. I, I can hardly speak in its peace. Unexplainable. I, I can hardly think it's calling you, church. He's calling you deeper into his love. Not the world's definition. Deeper still as he calls. Deeper still as he loves. Sing, he's calling you. And he's calling. And deeper still and he's calling. And deeper still and he's calling. And deeper still into love. Calling. It's a 1 Corinthians 13 type of love. Deeper still as you call me. Deeper still as you call me. Deeper still as you love. Love. You're good, good
not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Thank you, Lord, right now for your love for us doesn't fail. Every person here, every broken heart, your love is healing right now. Come on, let's just speak in tongues this morning. He's healing you right now. He is bringing about deliverance right now. Your broken heart doesn't, doesn't have anything on what God can do. He's not a person who puts the plaster on cancer. He heals right now. Let him heal you. Let him heal you. Let him heal you. Thank you, Jesus, in your holy, holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Very, very quickly before we finish the service, we just have every eye closed. It's going to give you an opportunity. Maybe you've never experienced the love of the Father before. You've never given your life to Him. You've never said, um, yes, I will follow you. I will surrender my life to you. And today you're like, man, I want to know what a love like that is like. Or maybe you're in a second category and once upon a time you did know this love, but life has brought you to turn your back on that and you want to come home today. Very quickly, if that's you at the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. No shame. No one's going to be watching you other than possibly the team who wants to pray with you this morning. If that's you and you're like, man, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to know His love. Just pop your hand up very quickly. One, two, three. Very, very quickly right now. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your love. Let it sweep through this place. Come like a river. Come like a flood. Bring about deliverance. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your holy name. Amen.